0: Ladies and gentlemen, rebel scum and loyal to the Empire, this is Sith Talk, the show that talks all things Star Wars, Star Wars comics, Star Wars books, Star Wars movies, (laughs) question mark, but mostly lately star wars tv show i am one of the hosts uh zach chrisman aka the lord of lore and joining me is Lindsay, but also aka the lady of lore my bad uh also joining us is brandon the bendu how's everybody doing well how's well, everybody if i'm doing?
1: the bendu i must say happy bendu day everybody
2: all oh, right, wait. Can yeah. we just before we dive into things? Can we just put the that out there right now? Was that a holiday, or were they just saying like Happy Wednesday?
1: See, that's something interesting because there's also what, what do they call it, Tongs Day, or something? And if you go and yeah. you look at like how we got the names of the days of the week, they're from like ancient languages with like Thor's Day is Thursday. Which was like after the God of Thor, so I think the answer to that is is
0: essentially just like that is like Thursday.
1: I don't. It's either like a Hump Day or a really light holiday like President's Day or Arbor Day, where like people are like, "Hey, Happy President's Day," but like it doesn't really mean anything because what the hell is President's Day anyway?
0: Right. Absolutely. We still have to go to work, Um, but. On this episode, we're going to be talking about The Mandalorian, Episode 2 and 3. There's a lot of exciting stuff to be talking about, and just so everybody knows, uh, all three of us have been doing crazy, crazy things lately, and Star Wars has never been more important in our lives because life and um, I want to say that this this show um, this show is is a highlight of my weeks and getting to get him to get every single episode as we've been getting it has been a true pleasure in my week and so let's open up with episode two and we're gonna start with the Bendu boy himself let's start with episode two how do you feel about episode two of the Mandalorian
1: episode two of the Mandalorian it was great It was much better on the second watch, which is something I I don't know. Star Wars is always better on the second watch, but this one it was even more so because there was so much setup work going on, and they were telling such an expansive story in so—excuse me—in such little time, and so you have, like, for example um grogu we see his growth in the force in so many ways in this episode but they don't stop to tell you hey or show you like oh look here's here's Mm -hmm. him using his force power like they do in book of boba fett with the rancor like it's very subtle it's in the way that he moves and oh he's get he's able to get himself in and out of his pod and he's able to pilot a ship and or at least get in a ship to be piloted by uh, a hero of the rebellion r5d4 um So there was a lot happening in this episode, but I think it would be hard to not put this in at least top, top 10 uh, Mando, if not top five Mando episodes, because it took everything that we thought this season was going to be about with him becoming a Mandalorian again and redefining what, (coughs) excuse me, redefining what Mandalore is and it just flips it completely on its head and everything that we thought we were going to get, we're getting, but we're not going to get it in the way that we thought we were.
0: Hmm. Yeah, um, I I what I appreciated about episode two is how quickly we got to Mandalore. I, I didn't really I wasn't sure um how long it would take for us to actually get to mandalore where he was going like after episode one we knew that 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 they were going in that direction but sometimes the mandalorian takes like a pretty pretty big pause step so at the beginning i i was like oh man we're going to tatooine again <laughs> like damn it i'm so tired of this and planet the same thought. and it was just like a brief thing so i'm um, I was very thankful that it was just like a, it was like in and out. Like he just went to Walmart to grab a couple things and he was back on the road. And, um, what I appreciate about this episode is how good they do small details that impact the story later on. So in episode one, he's kind of talking to Grogu about navigation. And then episode two, he kind of points out about, you know, like this is where Bo is, you know, he's just like, you need to learn how to fly. And it's, it's great that these little tiny details end up having big pay- payoffs later in the story. Um, what, I, what I do have to add about this is the set pieces here are so good. And I'm not, I'm not knocking Obi-Wan when I say this, but there were times in Obi-Wan where you can completely feel the soundstage. And the soundstage is very new. And The Mandalorian kind of made it what it is. But you're finding that people are learning like when to use it, when to not use it. I feel like Obi-Wan had a lot of things that were a little bit overdone on the soundstage and felt like that. But then you have shows like House of the Dragon that use the soundstage for things that you can't even tell because they use it appropriate, appropriately. And Jon Favreau really knows how to use the soundstage in these episodes and kind of play to the strengths because... Mandalore looked truly beautiful going down into the mines of Mandalore they had to darken it up a little bit which I understand but it it added to like a it felt like a very uh like a d and d campaign running through a cave like you you can't see everything in front of you you you're looking around and there there' are things that look shifty there are surprises. And I kind of felt like that, even though I, I don't know if John Favreau plays d and I know James Gunn does, um, but that's DC. Um, but it really kind of felt like a character walking through a cave, not knowing what's going on. And kind of always, I kind of felt with the characters always on alert with them. And I was very appreciative of like just how the set looks and how I felt going through the minds well, of
1: Mandalore. And everything in the story is doing at least two things. So, like, you were talking earlier about showing him how to navigate and where Bo's at. Like, showing him how to navigate shows that Mando is developing him as a Mandalorian and sees him as a a full Mandalorian now while also setting up what he's going to be able to do later. Saying where Bo's at gives us context of where we're at in the story and where we're at physically and also sets up him going to find her later. Um, And even something like the set design you know the destruction of the civic center shows both the destruction of the planet in and of itself through the imperial bombing but is a metaphor for the destruction of the people and uh the failure of them being able to unify around a singular government um because that's really the fall of mandalore you know we had so many warring Actions, whether it was Satine or Death Watch or The Way or whatever it was. And so you've, you've got all of these different pieces of storytelling, but there's no wasted motion. There's no part of the story that is filler, um, which I know is like a, a loaded word, but even something like going to uh, you know, revisit uh, Peli Mata on Tatooine was supposed to show that these Places that used to be barren and not worthwhile are growing and prospering, which is important for, you know, showing the, the growth of the New Republic, the impact of Boba Fett and his actions in Book of Boba Fett, but also setting up a contrast to where Mandalore is at and showing you how far behind they are based on everybody else's society. Um, and so... That really to me is masterful storytelling when you can do one thing but accomplish, you know, two to seven things with that one thing.
2: Overall, I thought episode two of season three of The Mandalorian was the best episode of The Mandalorian we have ever gotten. i really do and i've watched it so so many times since then i should be embarrassed by how many and and i'm not um but overall i just felt like this was the perfect balance of staying within the story you know it's no secret that season two yeah i loved it great show but i said over and over during season two It was too many side quests that were totally, or at least felt at the time, totally unrelated to the main objective and the main point of the story. Season one, yeah, there's so many side quests and and yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're all relevant and they all help show the growth of not only Grogu, but Mandalore uh, Din with Grogu season two a little bit less so in my opinion um and then there's of course book of boba fett which is season two and a half as we all well know um but to the original point zach i think you're the one who said it where we got there so fast we didn't spend so much time diverting from what we originally needed um that was definitely a concern of mine when we went to tatooine and I thought this was going to be another episode where we're getting so distracted. But to spend that and then all of a sudden it's the intro and then we're back in the action and it's so relevant. I thought that was just incredible. I was so thrilled to see it. Um, I really did not expect to get to Mandalore until the back half, if not the very end of the season. Uh, so to get there now was really important to me. But I th- oh, sorry, what were you going to say?
0: Oh, I, I was just going to add to uh, the positives uh, on that journey. And, and, and what really makes this episode shine is, is Din as well. Um, just, I mean, like starting with Din, uh, so we can casually go through these things, is I love seeing Din kind of, he, he, he's got his own uh, kind of uh, stature. He's got confidence, <laughs> But you can tell, what I what I loved about this episode is, you can tell that he still doesn't understand the Darksaber at all. Like, it's very sloppy fighting, no. and I, I love that I got to see that, because I don't want my character to always have it all figured out. I mean, John Wick is one thing. That's just a blast of a, of, of a series where John Wick really does kind of have it all figured out when it comes to hand-to-hand combat, but we all kind of... You know, we all kind of go, well, that's the, what the John Wick movies are. Um, but the the thing about Din that I love is that he's got like this assurance and and this is the way, and he's so sure about this, and he's so sure about that, and, and he's so sure about this, that, and whatever. And but with the Darksaber, he's got this thing. It's like the surprise. These surprises end up making him better in the long run. Like the child, Grogu, was a surprise that after all this evolution, um, created him to kind of change his thinking and to change his way about how he feels about certain things. And I love that this Darksaber is a burden on him that he never wanted, that he has, but he still, it's almost like he neglects trying to accept the Darksaber. Like, he has it, it's his right to have it, but he fights as if he hasn't trained a day with it. Like, I know he probably has, but it's like, almost like he he uses it as a last measure. Like it's almost a thing that he doesn't want. It's like the way he fights with it is so negligent. Like he just doesn't want to use it. Therefore he seems so sloppy and unsure. Like his fighting, um, his fighting reflects how he feels about
2: that. It's burden. not the fighting though. And this, this brings me back to, I'm not going to say full lady of lore for it because it's not that deep in the, the collection but it brings us back to trials of the dark saber where if you know, trials of the dark saber and you understand Sabine training with the dark saber and all that it meant and all that it took to accept it and, and take it as an extension of yourself. That's when you really and truly get and understand why he is so clunky with this thing and why he's not really able to fight. And the fact that they don't just stop and explain that, but it's just shown in the story, I thought was beautifully done and a reason why it is top tier Star Wars and top tier storytelling, in my opinion. Um, but before we, actually no, not even before we get there, I guess while we're there, um, this is a story where the action built on the lore of everything, Because we have these new creatures that come out of nowhere, and it is tense, it's surprising, it's exciting. But also for us as deep Star Wars fans, Brandon, I think I had texted you and I was like, we haven't seen those anywhere else. But like, I had to double check myself and make sure I wasn't forgetting something. But for new Star Wars fans to have this really cool new creature introduced to us, in such an intense way where we're still so invested in the story that it's an afterthought, right? The the first thought is, oh my God, is he going to get out of this? Oh my God, he can't fight with the Darksaber. What the hell is he going to do? And then once all is said and done, you're like, hey, what the fuck were those things, right? That to me was so gratifying as a fan of just TV let alone a star Wars fan. So it's little things like that in the episode that make it so cool for me and and so much fun to watch. But the fact that, yeah, to your point, he's clunky with it and it's not just that he hasn't trained. That's going to be important later on or where people who don't know trials of the dark saber, they think the same thing, right? Oh, he hasn't trained. He's not that great. Look at how much his armor weighs him down. I think as those people come to understand more and more what the Dark Darksaber is, they'll see how important that scene actually was, especially compared to how fluid Bo-Katan is with it. She almost dances with it. It's beautiful watching her fight. So to understand everything going on and say, and that's she's, what I'm the, yeah, down. she's the ruler of Mandalore. She's the one we're supposed to watch and be excited for. It it was just such a fun, exciting, clear way of showing all of this. That to me, it is hands down the best episode of Mandalorian we've ever had.
1: Well, I think one of the things within that that's important is the evolution of the show, The Mandalorian. Because the first two seasons were more about Din and his relationship with Grogu, obviously, but mm-hmm. Din figuring out how to get along with a diverse group of people, whether that's, you know, a, a rebel shot trooper, a, a bounty hunter, a, a droid that he doesn't trust, mm-hmm. uh, you know, some guy that he randomly meets on a planet, like all of those si- side quests are important because they're all introducing him to different types of people. You've got Pelimoto. Mm-hmm. you've got Frog Lady, you've got, um, you know, the Quarren, you, you've got all, e- each episode you're adding somebody to that Rolodex of people that he has to learn how to either get along with or stand against. And so it's kind of defining his morality, right? But we know who Din is now. We know, um, for the most part, what he believes and what he... Values and even though his acts might not always show it, we know from those big moments, which are all built on top of that. Those side quests, you know, the the Luke Skywalker episode doesn't work as well if you don't have the Bill Burr episode, right? And so that was one kind of story that they're telling. Now we've evolved. We have been established with who he is, and now we need to tell a more linear story, and so we see because it's gonna be a developing of the Mandalorian culture and not just this one character. The one character is going to develop, but it's a much broader, bigger scale in season three. And the shift in the storytelling shows that. And I think the Darksaber is kind of a prime example of one thing that we can look at and see, okay, how is this story progressing? Because we have Din, who. When we've seen him use all of this stuff, but when he's with the Darksaber, it's back to square one versus Bo-Katan being so fluid with it. They're clearly setting up this contrast. Okay, why are they setting up this contrast? Are they going to make this about this season about what the different views of Mandalore are and how they can come together to be unified to reestablish a new Mandalore, which is a much different conversation than who is Din Djarin and who is Baby Yoda and who is Clan Mudhorn.
0: Well, and I just want to double down. When I said training, what I, 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 I know the, the trials of the Darksaber. What I meant was he has not accepted it. Therefore, that is why it is not an extension of himself. That's why he doesn't fight fluently with it. Um, I said training, but I mean training as in the, the sense of like actually using it, learning how to use it, accept it. And I don't think he's accepted it.
2: That's what I meant by that.
1: No, I think you're. you're spot I'm curious on with that. if he
2: ever really will, though. Too, like I don't. I don't think where. I, whereas Sabine was lucky enough to have people sit there and really teach her the importance and teach her the understanding. Think about it. Din now has the dark saber, and we all un- know and understand what that truly means. Is the watch really going to tell him that? They seem to just barely accept him as is. And it doesn't really seem like he was welcomed back with the most gracious of arms because we do have, guess what, who is probably going to become a main villain, not really eagerly accepting him right there. You know, he's he's not going to be thought of as the leader just because he has this Darksaber. So I'm curious to see if he's ever going to truly get that training. The only person who I think is really, or people who will give it to him, are either the armorer or Bo-Katan. And what reasons do they truly have for doing that?
0: And see, that 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 kind of goes into my point that might be jumping ahead a little bit. So we can, we can rewind it back if I am jumping ahead. But I think that that will be left up to... Um, part of understanding it and whether he gains that understanding through himself or with somebody else is will Bo want, will Bo show him that extension and help him or hold that from him? Because one of the details in, in episode three at the end of, well, at the end of episode two, you see what's the, the beast called Jeez. the mythosaur. The mythosaur. Um, you see that eye kind of open And at the beginning of episode three, she asks, did you see anything in the water? And the vibe I got was she knew she saw something and didn't double down on, hey, Din, I saw this. And to me, I still feel like while Bo does have some some obligations towards Din, like she she has some kind of connection with Din. She's also holding her cards as well, so it's like, will she help? Will she help him understand, or will she not? Is she going to be, be a honest, part of the problem?
2: That scene, or is she
0: going to be accepting?
2: That scene this? in episode three, I felt so silly almost because for a week I was riding this high of episode two, right? And I was so excited about the living waters and the mythosaur, and I was just amped up about all of this. And then we opened with that scene, and I was just kind of like, you idiot. Like, if, how how did you not once in the past week think of, is she going to tell him what she saw? Never once did I think of it. Um, so for episode three to open with that was quite a twist for me. And I'll be honest, in, in jumping ahead a little bit, I don't want to say I was disappointed with episode three because it was still so good. I know deep down in my heart and soul, I know it was a great episode. It was just a bit of a letdown because I was so excited for it all week. And then to spend so much time on Coruscant, right. To have that amazing scene, that amazing opening scene. And they're, they're starting to go back and then just switch to Coruscant. And again, I know in the long run, it's a great episode and it's going to be so important. But just for this week, I was like, man, I woke up so early, and I'm so excited, and I didn't get what I wanted. Um, but, but I never once thought she wouldn't tell him what she saw and the implications of her withholding that knowledge. And then to not really touch on it again for the rest of the episode, I was, I was a little taken aback.
0: Brandon, what do you think about Bo Katan so far? Or 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 just any of the topics that we've I mean, talked about so far? I think
1: you know, Bo Katan is at this point in the story the most compelling character because while Lindsay you you wanted to have that immediate answer right now, we can't. Because Bo doesn't even have that answer right now. I don't think she knows where she stands in terms of the way in the history of mandalore i think seeing the mythosaur or thinking she saw it i don't even know if she fully believes it yet but she thinks she saw it or she knows she saw it doesn't matter it's something that she's going to have to wrestle with in one way or another and that's going to look different depending on what she decides to believe, or if she goes back down there to see if she can find it or whatever happens. But we can start to see that shift immediately in her not taking her mask off. And that was something I loved the last shot of episode two because most shows would have had her rip her helmet off and you would see her panting face and her shocked eyes. And you've got a great actress in Katie Sackhoff who could pull that scene off amazingly. But they didn't they had her keep her helmet on and then as we get to episode three she continues to leave her helmet on and i don't know if you guys noticed this because i was looking for it because i said oh my god she's gonna join the watch like she has been bathed in the living waters she saw the history of mandalore that she didn't believe to be true it's like this fairy tale has now become reality and how am I not going to live in that and so in episode three we see her actions being very much in line with what we've seen with the watch of keeping your helmet on and saying this is the way and all of these performative tenets that we've seen of their uh cult or religion or however you want to define it but she's still saying the things that separate her so her words and her actions are very different because she's saying things like "I'm not part of the way," and you know uh, she's saying I witnessed it in a in a way that is very I was there, but I'm not a part of it, and so there's that dichotomy there and that contrast there to show the audience that even she hasn't figured out who she needs to be right now because if we think about it in the context of our world, it would be like somebody who. Had studied Christianity for years and understood its importance to the history of our world and uh, in in multiple facets, but didn't believe that it was true. Walking into, uh, you know, their old house and Jesus is just sitting on the couch like, hey, dude, what's up? Like, that's li- <laughs> like, how do you not... Like this is not didn't go the way you thought it was going to go.
2: It's going to be a very interesting Thanksgiving That's such dinner. A good analogy. But how do you so deny good. it? Like Thanksgiving could, dinner, please. How about Easter?
1: Easter, yeah, even better. But like, <laughs> do does that change
2: so, your faith? Or, or I, I, I want to go back to to one of your original points, and Zach, I'll throw this on you and ask you kind of as the tiebreaker because B, I love that you thought it didn't even cross my mind that she might be doubting that she saw it originally, especially with later on where, where they explain like, yeah, there was this drop off and he fell and that's why he was dragged down. I know that's a big question. We were all asking over, over the course of the week was, did he fall down? Did he get pulled down? Was it the water? Was it the mythosaur? What was it? But they explain like, yeah, no, the, this drop off wasn't here before. This was because of the explosion. So now we just opened up this crevice. And yeah, it makes sense that there would be this ancient creature hidden where you couldn't get to it before. But it never once occurred to me like it did you, Brandon, that she was maybe doubting that she ever saw it. Zach, what was your takeaway? Did you think she was doubting that she saw it? Or do you think she was questioning if she should withhold it from Den?
0: I think, like, personally, I think that she was questioning whether she should withhold it from Din, because right now, when it comes to, like, Bo-Katan, I have a web, okay? So be patient with me, because none of it will make sense, it's all just thrown out into the mythos. I think Bo is a textured ceiling, and Din is 220 sandpaper. I think that she has been so hardened by her past, and... She's given up on hope because she's she's been made to be hopeful multiple times, and they've all failed really bad. I think that she is sarcastic towards the way. When you look at episode two, or at she, she starts sarcastic. When you look at episode two, and this, this shows how good whoever, if it's Katie Sackoff in the armor or whoever's actually walking in the armor, but even the way she delivers her lines, she's sarcastic. This is the way. And you can tell she's like, yep, this is the way. Like when somebody says god bless and you're like huh? god bless um she's very sarcastic with those like she's like okay cold guy like mm, calm down but then once she sees that she starts kind of she starts kind of like bouncing to where there's still like this hardened bow who has a little bit of that but like she is more accepting because and and the biggest point is at the end of episode three when they talk about um you know have you taken your mask off no not yet well then you are a mandalorian this is the way her the way she says it is different than the way she said it when din said it walking into the mines or walking into the the living waters it was sarcastic then it wasn't then like from point a to point b she says it two different in two different ways because a part of me kind of thought like when they said are you uh, you know you take your mask off, You are. Or you haven't taken your mask off, you're now a Mandalorian. I thought, like, part of me thought she was going to take it off and be like, no, I'm a Mandalorian with or without this mask. Like, I thought she was going to start some shit right then and there. But she didn't, which doubles down on, I think personally right now, Bo is shaken, and Bo doesn't know what Bo is doing. She's going along with the flow because so many things have been opened up to her at such a rapid pace that she's just like on autopilot. Like I'm going to kind of see where this leads up because there's all these facts sitting in my brain. And right now the only way out is through. And I think she's just experiencing this side and it gets confusing um, when I explain it that way. But I think Bo is confused. I think Bo has been so sure about so many things for so long that now that there's been some things that like, yeah, hey, Jesus might be real. You know, he's you kind of saw, you kind of saw Jesus on the couch. She's like, hmm, maybe I was wrong about something. So for the first time, I think her mind is starting to open up to other things. If any you know, of that, that makes sense. what'd be really sense. great is
1: if we had this character in Star Wars who had lived in the tension of Mandalore's past, present, future. The Jedi, the Mandalorians, the dark saber. If only there was somebody like a, I don't know. We could call her like Sabine or something like that. Would be a good name um, that could show up in this episode, in one of these episodes this season to really help them figure it out. That'd be really nice if we had somebody like that. But
0: that also doubles down on my episode one prediction that I Sabine is going to show up in this season. No, I'm not. I'm not reopening it. Well, just, I look, am. I, I'm look, reopening I, it. <laughs> Look, I think Sabine makes sense for this story. I think Sabine isn't a shoehorned in character. I think Sabine has multiple facets to be in this story. One, to represent a different perspective in between the two, to add to those two, but then to also kind of backdoor promote Ahsoka. I believe that's where Sabine's role is. I haven't fully figured out exactly where all that fits in, but I think she's part of this. Um, i'm I'm kind of predicting that at the very least, Din and Bo will try to unite the Mandalorians under one banner. Whether it works out or not, I believe that's where things are headed. And I think Sabine plays a role in that because she has um, she has a um, she has experienced a lot of different things, like you've said and I think her story makes sense. Plus, this is this is my one thing, Brandon. I don't know if you've listened to the episode 1 of uh Mando for Sith Talk, but I said in the end if she does show up and when she does, they're going to be through the thick of it. And I think at the very end Ahsoka is show is going to show up and say, "Hey, you got to come with me. We got to you got to put pause on this stuff. You got to trust them. I have found Thrawn. I know where Thrawn's at." And we got to go find Ezra. And I think that's where Sabine's going to be like, hey guys, cool, figure it out. I got to go with her and I got to do this. That's my like prediction is in the thick of it all, she's, Ahsoka's going to show up, either help them out of whatever they're in and then be like, look girl, we got to go.
1: Yeah, that's I mean, I could page. definitely see that happening. I think Sabine in particular makes a, a lot of sense for the story because she can be kind of the mediator that can help and din find common ground because she's had to do that with mandalorians before you know that's kind of her role in the history of mandalore when you look at what she does in rebels is she she reunites wait wait
2: wait here we go though because one thing we're really overlooking and i'm not arguing your points (laughs) that she would would be a great fit for this show we already saw her pass along control to the ma- of the Mandalorians to Bo-Katan. So, don't we think she might be a little peeved if she comes back to this situation and realizes Bo-Katan lost the control and lost the dark saber, all that she gave? Um,
1: I think it would definitely be something that would need to be addressed, but. I think Sabine has faced failure in, in a lot of ways, and she knows what it means to fail her people um, in the weapon that she created that kind of got her exiled and outcast. And so I think while, yes, it would be something worth addressing because she does directly hand the Darksaber to Bo-Katan, uh, you can make that work by having them have a conversation about, like, we did it the wrong way, we can, we have a chance to do it the right way now. Um, you could have that conversation in there. But also you can just have her come in and start a conversation between Din and Bo that couldn't exist without her. Because again, she has failed her people. So what lessons can she give them that are going to help them move forward and create whatever the new Mandalore is going to be? Um, I think she has the history and the knowledge uh from both being an important member of an important family to uh, Mandalorian history, but just her individual role within that history. Uh, She has made it very clear. It was very clear in Rebels. She doesn't have the answer, but she knows the answer exists. And I think that's going to be the real thing is helping them realize, look, you may not have the right answer, but the right answer does exist. And the Mythosaur points in that direction that there is a, a right answer. So how are we going to work together to find it? Because Sabine wanted to unite the Mandalorians, but they couldn't do it under the thumb of the Empire. Now the Empire has gone. So we have an opportunity to do it. The New Republic is not going to stop us. So are we going to do it? Are we actually going to follow through on our faith? Or are we going to just talk about it? And Sabine's main journey in Rebels is no longer just talking about being a rebel, no longer just talking about these big ideas but and ideals, but actually putting them into practice even when it's not the easiest answer.
2: I agree with all your points. Cool. All right. Episode over. Thanks, guys. Thanks that. for having I'm me. Until <laughs> till next time. I'm just saying it's... An interesting spot, because again, we can sit here and talk about how, yes, it would make sense in this season, and it would be nice uh, such a nice way into Ahsoka, but it's a lot more convoluted when you look at everything else going on, on into all of your fantastic points. We're already three episodes into a how-many-episode season. Is there really and truly enough time to cover all of this? And if there is... How does that divert from all of our other predictions for this season?
0: Great storytelling and yeah. good writing. Let's let's
2: if hope. If the yeah. writing's
0: there, it can work. No, I, I
2: agree. And keep in consistently mind, we've and... seen that the writing is there. And Zach, you did convince me at the end of last episode, you did convince me that not only would we potentially cease Sabine this season, you also convinced me it would be a good fit. But I think that there's more than what's going on right now we need to think of what's going to happen when she comes back
0: but also let's you know and this is weird me saying it let's put some faith in the writers of Star i thought you were going to say let's put some faith in you know,
2: no no no
0: no um i have zero fun. no i'm just kidding um, um you know nobody expected luke skywalker to show up and he wasn't on screen long on the end of season two yet that is like my favorite episode of television and his role he played had such a massive impact on the entire story and he wasn't in there long but because it was written well because these threads all led towards something it it was it 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 was executed so perfectly so i think that with somebody like a Sabine, again, execution is everything. I think that there's you know, this this whole Mandalorian thing is about multiple like this is the thing about Mandalorians. It is these multiple perspectives, these multiple ways to do it, and then infighting. But if we can get multiple perspectives in the same room and talk about what works and what doesn't and what has worked and what hasn't and have a general conversation or i mean have a good conversation with some well executed writing it's extremely impactful because they have nothing to stand on they have no home this is almost like you know looking uh like um it it, it they I mean, have it's the nothing. jews during exodus they, they, that's
1: who the mandalorians are right now
0: Yes, thank you. That's what I was searching for. I was gonna go to the Odyssey and then I was like, Oh fuck, what's his name? What's his name? Looking for his home. But yes, yes, absolutely. It's well, a like I that. I think
1: Sabine makes sense on a lot of different levels, right? Like if you look at all right, cool, we wanna promote the Ahsoka show, that's a way to do it, right? And and that's a reality of how stories are told in a corporate media kind of Yeah. And I think you I have think so. to. I, I think you this have is to promote the Ahsoka show. I don't think Ahsoka should show up. Um I think that that is a
2: I agree bit with too that far. I'm I'm gonna uh, throw it out there now. I agree with it. I,
1: I think that will feel like a shoehorn in of like, don't forget about our other show coming to you live. Like
0: Was it shoehorned in and in when she showed
1: up? No, in, but as, season uh, two was season a journey two? about finding Jedi and finding your people. And so she makes sense there. She doesn't but, uh, no, 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 I, I just okay. don't think Sorry. she makes... I interrupted. I, I don't think she is necessary for the story. And we, we said earlier that one of the things they're doing really well is cut, trimming all the fat. Like, everything that happens in Mandalorian, while it may, you know, provoke this, this Mandoverse or whatever it may do, it's about the show right now. And I think we have to keep in mind also that this is not necessarily going to be resolved in this season. Season four has already been written. John Favreau has said that he doesn't have a definitive end point, right? And and I think he knows the direction that he's going, but I think he knows he has the time to tell that story. And he is, between himself and Dave Filoni, and and you can include all the other great people that are are creating these shows, but those two in particular have shown a capacity to know when enough is enough and to end a story in an Organic way without pushing it too far. And so I think Sabine makes a lot of sense because we don't have to have everything revol- resolved this season. You know, this could be a season or episode eight is when we get her kind of thing. Of okay, cool. We're using that like we did with Luke to set up, you know, Luke sets up what we get in Book of Boba Fett, which sets up what we get in Mandalorian. We can use Sabine in episode eight to set up what we're going to get in The Ahsoka Show and also set up season four. Um, using the volume Lothal would be so easy to create in the volume. So you've got an easy place to shoot there with, and you've, you've got another reason for people to go back and watch rebels, which is going to help the Ahsoka shows. So other than it being poorly executed, which I think we have enough data points to say, it's not going to be other than it being completely poorly executed. I don't see a reason not to have Sabine in this series because it makes sense in a storytelling fashion, in a lore building fashion, in getting people to watch the old content, in getting people to watch the new content, in using the technology and mediums that you have to the best of their capacity. Like there's no modern storytelling means in which it doesn't check the box. And so, yes, you could have Sabine show up and it's like, okay, she's just here to give a speech, or you could have her show up and I think this is much more organic, have her be a facilitator of, look, guys, we've done this for years. I tried to unite us. I wasn't the one. Somebody has to be. And the dark saber has gone back and forth between you two. The Force is telling us something. And she's one that would believe in the Force because she spent most of her life hanging out with a couple Jedi. You know, so I, I just, I think it's going to flow really organically into Sabine being in the show to where it doesn't feel like, oh, hey, also watch Ahsoka coming in 2023, you know?
2: Yeah. One of interesting. Oh, and, sorry,
0: and, and, go on, Zach. I'll make it quick because I am repeating our conversation from episode one. But just, um, so I agree with everything you're saying when it comes to Sabine showing up. Uh, the reason I I look at the whole the uh, the whole Ahsoka thing very Disney business analytically, which is like not um, always the most attractive things for people listening to the show. But the reason why I make these predictions that she's going to be there, very brief, and and by brief I mean like a couple minutes at most, and shoe kind of a Sabine with her, is because if you look at the threads of Ahsoka, if if she. She found out, you know, she's like, where is Thrawn in The Mandalorian? So therefore, she can tie up with something that is cohesive in The Mandalorian when she does grab Sabine to say... I have found Thrawn. We gotta go. This happened in the same show. It didn't happen in Obi-Wan. It didn't happen in Andor. It didn't happen in Book of Boba Fett. It happened in The Mandalorian. So, therefore, that is a conclusion to this small thread that happened in an episode of The Mandalorian. So, it makes sense to a viewer. People do not know Ahsoka. Ah- so, I mean, like Star Wars fans do, but the everyday fans do not know anything about Ahsoka. And they're putting money into this. They have to get people to show up. So, From an analytical standpoint, I say you drop Sabine in here, get the fans emotionally invested in Sabine, drop a character that showed up briefly to double down on a thread with a character you now care about because of her impact in The Mandalorian, then you get more viewers for Ahsoka. Because Ahsoka is going to need these extra viewers, because while we all think Ahsoka is the greatest thing in the world... The casual fans do not. That is my analytical pitch on why this all has to tie in. Makes sense. She's been in an episode. She ties the thread at the end of this season or whatever. We get people invested in Sabine because she's going to be a part of that show. That's just my that's my analytical sales pitch on why they would do
2: it. I just think as a, as a Star Wars fan, we should learn from our mistakes and be ready for something very real and true, which is the Sabine we last saw could be totally different from the Sabine we're about to meet because she, from the, I won't, I struggle or I struggle to say the rebels finale, because yes, we saw her start to look for Ezra again. Um, But from the lesson we really truly saw and interacted with Sabine, she's been through a lot. She's been through the civil war. She's presumably been through going to find Ezra. Like there's, there's a lot of other things in character development that would have happened off screen. So we might also be taking this entire conversation to say, here's what Sabine would think about the Mandalorians, or here's what she thinks about the force, depending on what she's gone through, much like Luke in the last Jedi, depending on what she's gone through, we might be meeting essentially a new character here. So that's just one thing I I would advise us to really keep in mind before we say definitively and before we say with joy and excitement, Sabine's going to be back this season.
1: Yeah, I, I can definitely see where you're coming from there. And I think it is important to consider the fact that like we thought we knew where this season was going, and then they gave us the Mythosaur, and it was like, okay, so we were kind of right, but we were also very, very wrong. So... I think if we take that into consideration, it still makes a lot of sense to get Sabine, but to your point, we could have it very very wrong and we have to, you know, prepare and brace ourselves for that. Now, I don't think personally, I don't think she's going to be that different of a character because if I have the timeline correct that where we're at in Mandalorian is not quite where they were at in the the finale of Rebels, um, or the epilogue of Rebels. Like, Rebels obviously ended right before the Battle of Endor, and then, um, the Ahsoka-Sabine moment is past where we're at in the Mandalorian right now. Now, there's nothing clearly defining when that happens, so they could just say, actually, you know, they've already gone and found him, and it, it happened in between Boba Fett and Mandalorian. Like, they could completely change that, which is fine, but, what we have right now is that Sabine has stayed on that planet committed to the mission of somebody. She truly deeply cared about uh, whether that's just in a sibling way or whether you ship it or regardless of how you see their relationship, it was a, a deep and meaningful relationship in both of their lives. And she has sacrificed everything to support the people that he in her mind gave his life for. And that is very much in line with what's going on with Mandalore right now. Like Din is willing to do anything to make sure that the Way and the Watch is promoted and advanced and is able to flourish. And that's very much like where Ezra was at with his people of Lothal. He didn't care about the war overall. He cared about his people and how they were going to help his people. And then you have Bo Katan, who is in the role of Sabine, who is uh, disheartened, disenfranchised, disengaged with this history and lore of Mandalore because she has been outcast for trying to do what was right by her people. And so she's finding a new way to live. And Sabine has kind of figured out, has kind of lived in this space that meshes those two together. And so I think that that's a way that she can come in naturally and bring Bo and din together to go like look guys i thought i had this all figured out but i don't um which i think kind of leads us you know into everything that happened in uh season or excuse me episode three because like pershing is kind of that same thing where he thought he had it all figured out oh i've got this great science project that could change the galaxy for the good but he never considered the applications of it um
0: Ooh, good segue. I was gonna segue too, but you did. You did. Well, it just—it was really interesting me. to me because wow. I was
1: watching his speech again this morning. I was rewatching the episode. It is so eugenics. Like he's just like we're gonna take all the best attributes of people and make super people, and we're gonna make up. A- freaking master race like that's essentially what he was saying he was doing with his cloning was we're going to make a master race and everybody's just like yay good job congratulations you're so smart we're glad you're on our side now and it's like wait a minute what about the message that he was conveying like are we just going to because he's on our side now we're going to accept uh that he is good because we view our side as good um that's
0: a a conflict that's going i think that's quite the opposite of the story what do you mean I think I think it. Well, I I think the Republic was like, "Good for you, buddy. Now go sit in the corner." And that's he felt ignored. I, I don't think the Republic really wanted anything to to really. No, kind of no, do but with the people. It, which is why he wasn't the people able to do meeting more. with him
1: after his speech are very much like, "You're so smart. Way to go. We're so glad you're on." They literally say, "We're so glad you're on our side now."
0: But they, but their side was. I mean, like they were. That that same person was also like, oh, you, you know, hi, honey. These these aren't the Empire days. Oh, is that right? Uh, we don't really meddle. Like he he was clearly like a dude that did. He was like a scumbag that could like fit in with anyone. Like had it been the Empire, he would have been like, great speech, man. Let's go get some get some top quality. Well, it was definitely there. great, and it was then, definitely he, in he line with like, the
1: characters that we saw in Andor um, at the party that Mon Moth has at her apartment. Right. But I, I do still think you know. They're giving him this platform to talk and to speak to promote this amnesty program. Yes, they have him sitting in an office right now, but how are they going to use him later? Like he is this kinetic energy that is stored and because they don't find a proper release for him, he finds a release for himself, which again is like kind of what's going on with the mandalorians in terms of like finding their identity if they're not supported in finding the right identity um or a healthy identity identity i I should say then these ideals that on their face are not necessarily bad like the mask thing all right that's kind of weird but we don't live in a world where people you know wear masks um even in a pandemic uh but we do have this, like, I know, I know, Bold. the idea of having <laughs> a way and a set of beliefs and morals by which you live your life are all good unless you apply them practically in a negative manner. Like, on their surface, they're good. On the surface, the things that he thinks he's doing are good. Oh, I'm I'm saving people by replacing organs and all of these things. But really, what's happening, and we, we only know this because we have... The, the, the view of history, you know, and World War II and, and everything that was going on with the Nazis. But we know that that is something that is going to be applied very, very poorly. And, and it is being used to create Snoke and eventually super Palpatine, you know, like it's, it's frustrating as a viewer in a good way because we're like, damn it. I know exactly where this is going and I want to just like scream at you not to do it but the characters in the story don't know. And we don't know if they're going to figure it out. To me, that is compelling storytelling of like, we can see one very clear ending and it's bad. Are we gonna end up there or not?
0: Yeah, and I, okay, so like what my, what my segue was gonna be was, um, you know, basically we've talked about all this stuff with Sabine. But at the end of the day, if I'm wrong about everything that I've talked about on this show, I really don't care. Like, for the first time, I'm, like, truly along for the ride. I have pred- I have predictions and I have guesses that I double down on. But if I'm wrong about any of them, like, I'm so on board. Like, even this episode, you know, I, I haven't been up with our group chat that much lately. Are, you know? I haven't been updated on, on this episode as to how everybody else feels about it, but I, I'm so on board with the Mandalorian and the writing that when they paused and went to this story of Coruscant, I was amazed by seeing Coruscant, and then I was so on board with this little tiny pocket story, even though I'm dying to get back to um, Boba Fett, or Jesus, Boba Fett, Din Djarin and Bo-Katan, and that whole thing, it took me in so quick, and I was so accepting of saying, "Okay, we're gonna pause on this, and and get to this little chapter." And I loved this little chapter. I thought this little chapter, um, you know, it made me feel hopeful. It broke my heart. It made me feel bad. Like I truly feel bad for Doctor Parrish. I think he is trying to do the right thing, but he doesn't. Uh, he's missing some things. But the way the actor plays him. You feel this like hope of wanting to change the world and wanting to do the right thing. And it it's if it goes this way it's going to make for a very powerful villain or a very hard tragedy of his life because I felt so much hope because I felt so much happiness and I was nervous for him the entire time. Um when the agent what is it L25? Is it L25 that talks to him? No, he's the, L52. The her
1: her name is Elias name. Kane. G something, L-5-2. right?
0: Right. She said, the yeah, yeah. yeah, I think it's AGG like, like I was weary of her from the start. The whole time I was like watching her when the door rings, I thought he was going to be murdered when, um, anytime he was spending time with her. And I knew like, I kind of, I almost believed her for a second that she truly was trying to help him get his research for a second. I thought that she was going to be his friend. Like I let my guard down for a second and then boom it gets turned and my heart broke for him when that happened when all of it happened like sins or no sins i really like i i'm not saying what his his research is right i'm not saying that the the republic should have given him a chance i'm saying that from his standpoint as a character i bought into that he wanted to do the right thing and that that's why this this episode was so intriguing to me and so heartbreaking and so much fun to watch at the same time. I now, really, I really enjoyed this it too. episode and like, a lot.
1: The beautiful thing about, you know, the relationship with Elias Cain in the story is, like, one, we've got another biblical reference in Cain and Abel. So it's like, all right, her name says she's going to betray him. But then right when you start to go, well, maybe she's not. Maybe, or at least maybe she's not going to right now. Yep. That's when she turns, right? But she doesn't turn into an Imperial, she turns into the new Republic. She turns him into the new Republic and you're like, wait a minute. So she betrayed him, but she didn't betray him the way we thought that she was going to, but then, but then she, she did, did. Right. And
0: like, is she for the Republic or is she that deep into, is she that I'm going to go an ahead and say she's just self has-
2: serving.
1: Hmm.
0: I think she's working for Gideon. I think she's working for Gideon. She turned that dialogue.
1: She's trying to get back in the good graces of Gideon.
0: She's e- trying to poison. She's trying to poison Dr. Parrish's mind and make him believe that the only way for him to see this good research is through, you know, is through well, Gideon. I, I, I believe I, that.
1: I'm really intrigued to see where they go with the mind flare because. Uh, w- It really is. It really is. Um, If you think about, they talk about it in Resistance um, and we see, we get like allusions to it in Force Awakens but this program, and even Phasma and uh, Black Spire but this uh, propaganda and indoctrination of people in the First Order and, and how when people didn't comply they went through mind scraping. That basically reset their brain to the Appropriate propaganda, so they believed in the first order again. And this might be that device. Like, we're starting now to very clearly point in the direction of the sequel trilogy in a really good way. Like, they're not trying, it's clear that they're not trying to just figure out ways to explain things that weren't explained in the sequel trilogy, but that they're going, okay, here's the story we're telling, here's the story that already exists. How does A naturally lead to C? You know? And so that's something that I find really intriguing. But the, again, her character is somebody who serves multiple purposes. She shows us the trusting side of Dr. Pershing and. His kind of kind of his purity, because I I don't know if it's true for you guys, but for me, I was really questioning whether he was being truthful at the beginning until we get to having seeing Elias and going, oh, no, this is somebody from Gideon ship. Like, we can trust him. We can't trust her. Um, Did you guys kind of feel that way with uh, Dr. Pershing of like, is he actually believing in the New Republic or is he just saying that because he wants to advance his research?
0: I believe that he actually was hopeful for the Republic because he was scared. I, I really yeah, it was that more that his lack of, of
2: confidence uh, for me Gideon's, that came through.
0: I believe that he truly was in a uh, uncomfortable situation by the end of the uh, season two of the Mandalorian, and that he realized. And I'm not saying that he won't have to relearn this. I believe that he personally is going to have to relearn it again. But I believe by the end of Mandalorian season two, he was in over his head and he was so thankful that he got a chance with the new Republic. I think he bought into it and then felt like something was missing. Like old habits are creeping back into him and these curiosities that he's not getting access to. And I think he might be reverted. Well,
2: I mean, you you can tell though, before, before we get into the, the idea, you can tell even just from the way that they all wear their uniforms. You know, he comes across, the other four people in this program and they're all at kind of varying degrees whereas him and kane are still in that really crisp well ironed button-up uniform everyone else is you know unbuttoned and they're drinking and and they're doing different shots and it's it's just a different environment but i think that the dress code is what's really supposed to cement how far along they are at this point
1: are you saying that the clothes in Star Wars tell us where the characters are? are I mostly?
2: am saying that. It's so wow. weird, isn't it?
1: Yeah, man. Yeah, if only it was shocking. in Return of the Jedi, that would be great. only. Um, <laughs> Get out. <it>, <laughs> but in in, um, in his speech, and then later in the episode, um, we see Pershing touch his ear, where he got, you know, he was, was it in, it was in season two, No, maybe it was season one. Anyways, irrelevant what season it was. He is being held hostage by the Imperial, and I I think Mando or Cara Dune like shoots the, the guy that's holding him hostage, and it goes right by his ear. And so we see this little scar that he has, a deformity that he has on his ear, and he touches it multiple times when he kind of, to me, is trying to find a little bit of resolve. And, okay, I know what happens when... I don't be careful about who my research, who where my research ends up and whose hands um, get to be on it. And I've had this close call, this is my second chance and I've got to hear and see rather than just focus inward on myself and what I want. Um, So I think that is something that is developed through the episode. Like, I spent a very little amount of time actually thinking, like, eh, he might be a bad guy. As soon as we get him walking up to, uh, the or walking into Amnesty Housing, and you have those other officers there, I was like, no, no. Because he is very clearly trying to make... Good impression because he is, Lindsay, like you were pointing out. He's still in this crisp uniform. We see him, even when he's in his uh robe at night, like straighten up and everything, he's trying to show that he cares about um the things that he actually is saying that he cares about. But just at the beginning, a little bit, I was like, I oof. This is very reminiscent of like I love democracy. Like that that that's the whole feel that I had during his little speech thing. Um, And I just really got stuck on that eugenics idea. I was like, dude, we cannot be doing this. Have you not watched Jurassic Park? Like that is literally telling us to stop screwing around with DNA, but yet we still do it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. um, Yeah. I think the question is, um, well, not the question is just, uh, there are so many ways and so many threads in this story and I can't, Wait to watch more, you guys. Uh, thank you for listening to another episode of Sith Talk under the Clashing Sabers podcast feed. Um, I'm Zach Chrisman. You can find me on Instagram at Sith Talker Twenty Five. Brandon, can uh, all find the Clashing you?
1: Sabers handles Instagram, Twitter, and our Facebook group um, at Clashing Sabers at Star Wars Clashing Sabers is our Facebook group, so you can come over there and have conversations. And if you know a teacher uh let us know by going over to slash nominated teacher and we will send them a box of star wars books i have a lot of books in my closet and my wife is not letting me live down the fact that we need to get them to people so send us nominations uh so we can get those in the mail to them as soon as possible and support the great work that educators are doing whether they're star wars fans or not
0: Lindsay, uh, where can we find you? And tell us a little bit more about what we do at Clashing Sabers.
2: Yeah, I feel like B took most of it and put it in a much more concise manner than I do. But you can find me over on our Facebook group, Clashing Sabers Network. Just make sure you do tag me there if you want to uh, fight about anything I've ever said. Or just have a nice little chat and back me up, which would be even better. But more importantly, uh, aside from the podcasting network, where we do have a lot of different great shows and content, we are first and foremost a nonprofit organization. Our goal is truly to get the um, these stories that we love and have changed our lives into the hands of other students throughout the country. So please consider signing up for our Patreon or donating anything that you can. Always be on the lookout. We have a lot of great raffles and different fundraisers going on throughout the year. Uh, but even if you can donate with your money, we totally understand. As Brandon said please let us know if there are any teachers or any schools that you think would be able to benefit from the resources that we're able to.
0: I think we may have lost Lindsay. So with that being said, guys uh, that will do it for this episode of Sith talk. And until next time, may the force be with you.